What's up, everyone, and welcome to Through the Veil. I'm your host, Alex Nelson, and in today's episode, episode number 12, I am doing a deep dive with my friend Ian Vogel, who is a facilitator for ayahuasca ceremonies, as well as works quite a bit with psilocybin mushrooms. This could be a super heavy episode on the psychedelic talk, so if that's something you're interested in, this one will be the episode for you. We go real deep on how to find a proper person to facilitate your ceremonies, how to use these substances properly, and just some of the benefits around these substances. So this is one of my favorite episodes to date. Uh, please note that there was a slight hum in the background, so tried to take that out, but wasn't able to get that completely out. So excuse the noise pollution on this episode, but I hope you enjoy this one. If you do, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or uh, just leave a comment review on there as well or whatever your podcast player of choice is. Uh, and you can, as always, find me on Instagram at Alexander Diesel. If you have any questions or you just loved this episode, that's a great place to tap in and let me know. So without any further ado, let's jump right in. Yeah, I'm like, okay, yeah, we can 
treating the wrong thing for all this time. But they gave me um, a couple different medications. Um, a steroid and a drug called mecaptopurine. Mm -hmm. And I went in the morning, had the colonoscopy, told me the news, gave me the prescriptions, I went and got the pills. By that afternoon, I felt good. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. Pills. Yeah, I'm like, I got, I got energy again, I, can, I want to work out, I want to do stuff. Feel good for the first time in nine months. Wow, it was September. Wow, this is crazy. These pills just fix me. In January 30th, I, so yeah, several months later, just a few months later, feeling great, you know, doing my thing. And I woke up in the morning and there was some blood in my stool. Long story short, uh, I ended up going going to the hospital that night because I lost so much blood. I had a perforation in the in the lining of my large intestine. I almost blocked it out. Jeez. I was having yeah, internal bleeding. And if you read the fine print on the on the label of mercaptopurian, can cause perforation, internal bleeding. Um, so yeah, that was. That was the end of 2011, and that was kind of my wake-up call. Mm -hmm. My lifestyle, like I just wasn't happy. I was stressed. Mm -hmm. I had a well-paying job that was really easy, but I wasn't happy. And I was like, just down, stressed out for, for no reason. So I liquidated my 401k and moved to Colorado. And I lived there for a couple of years, delivering cannabis, working in the cannabis industry, yeah. different... Uh, and you know, mostly delivering cannabis, but different capacities in the cannabis industry, which led me to uh, eventually ended up in Las Vegas. I was there for three years. Recently, worked in the, in the cannabis industry, and now, and, and throughout that time, you know, my time in Las Vegas and before, I become you know, cannabis was the thing that kind of sparked my my interest in, in plant medicines, and you know, from 2011 on. I have been kind of experimenting and working with different different plant medicines and kind of exploring that further until to where I am now. Um, I I can help, help facilitate and set up um, different ceremonies with different sacramental entheogens, mostly ayahuasca, but also mushrooms occasionally. And, and uh, yeah, I just uh, I've gotten spent a lot of time. With medicine, we've been in a lot of ceremonies. Been to South America, spent some time down there, and it's been it's been quite a journey. Yeah. Um, you know, I tried the nine to five. I've had good, I've had good paying jobs that mm -hmm. were that were easy. And I was making good money, and things were good, but I just wasn't happy. Like, I just wasn't happy. Give and, your third, your third breakdown on the way to work, and you're like, all right, I fucking need to not do this anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's been there, so I tried. I tried that, and it just those kind of jobs put me in the jungle, or kind of put a backpack on me in the jungle, or you know, traveling like whatever I need to do. And plant medicine space is where I just feel really drawn to, yeah. to to be working in. I travel, work weird hours. I travel, travel to weird places, have weird experiences, but but ultimately it's. It's been a, an awesome, uh, awesome journey, and looking forward to you know to see what the, the future holds. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk a little bit more about Crohn's, just because I have a friend that has Crohn's, 
So, did you see it over deviation of your symptoms over time as you started to take kind of better care of yourself? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, nice. I almost died, you know, almost bled to death, almost killed me. But in reality, that was the best thing. Like, that was the best thing that could happen to me. It gave me a, a reason to live. Like, um, I had to reassess a lot of things in my life at that point. My work situation, my relationship situation, what I wanted to do with my life. Because it was pretty apparent that, you know, it could be over just like that. Thank you for doing this. You know, this is not working. It, it could be over. Um, and so, for me, and I think for the majority of people, you know, Crohn's is an autoimmune disorder. So your your body is your body your immune system is is overactive. It starts to attack healthy tissue, and, and Crohn's is mostly in the lower intestine, right? The lower GI tract. So your body starts to, in my case, it was this fighting an infection that wasn't there, right? So inflaming the, the healthy tissue and, and eventually breaking it down. And, to the point where my, my healthy tissue became unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And that can be caused, you know, each individual can have you know, different triggers and different sensitivities. Uh, stress, you know, yeah. environmental stress, like my, my job, when I changed my job, that made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Being less stressed out at work, but also a lot of it was my diet. Mm-hmm. I've been, I messed around with all kinds of diff- different diets. Paleo, vegan, vegetarian. I was a vegetarian for a couple of years. Yeah. All I ate was uh, vanilla and cereal and, and pasta. Like not I, I felt I felt like garbage yeah. all the time, but I was a vegetarian. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, I came to realize I, I'm not super allergic to anything. Mm. I just have I have a bunch of like minuscule intolerances. Mm. Dairy. I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm gluten intolerant per se, but I do notice a difference if I stop eating it. That's gluten. Um, sugars, um, for me, certain nuts like macadamia and, and, and hazelnuts for me. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's got, got these things. And sometimes carrots for whatever reason. Yeah. But I, I realized it wasn't one thing that was causing all the inflammation in my causing me to be inflamed, I had a bunch of little things stacked on top of each other that I was doing all wrong at the same time when, you know, I basically had to do an elimination diet. Yeah. Like, all right, cutting this out for 40 months and seeing how I feel. All right, put this back in. That calzone made me feel like I wanted to die. So after after a month of no cheese, yeah. that calzone made me, you know, yes. horrific. So no more, che- you know, no more cheese and processed meats. Yeah. Uh, it was... It took a long time. Yeah. And, and along with that, I realized going out to eat, I can't. Along with having to change my diet, I had to develop like basic cooking skills. Yeah. Like food preparation skills in, in order. And because I found the things that were working for me, the things that were the things that I could eat, the things that were like helping me along and making me feel better. I just wasn't seeing those things on, on menus no. yeah. at, at mm-hmm. the restaurants that I'm going to. And if I did see them, I'd you know, be covered with something that I didn't want right. or fried or whatever it is. So it was like a kind of like a two-prong attack. I had to like figure out what my diet wasn't working and also figure out a way to like develop some like basic food prep skills to, to be able to 
intense and there was some of the stuff that, that was helping me. Yeah, it's such a diet is such a tricky thing for so many people because not only is it difficult to figure out what your specific issues are, because I think everyone has some intolerances. There's nobody that's just like, I'm good with fucking everything. I don't think that person exists. And then the the difficulty is how do you figure out which things it is? You eliminate one at a time and go, okay, this is like better without that. Holy crap. And then you have to have the willpower, <laughs> the ability to build the habit that you're not just gonna go off the rails every time. Because you're not gonna be able to run a good test if you can't go a month without dairy. You're not gonna know. Yeah, and it's and often I feel like a lot of the thing, you know, you guys have said different people have different kinds of intolerances quite often. I think that the things that we're most intolerant to are the things that we grew up with. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that were like staples in our mm-hmm. diet as children that may not have been great yeah, for us. Greens, berries, processed shit. And those are the things that over time you develop intolerances to, but mm-hmm. also that you that kind of have this program. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I eat meat or I, I love bacon. It's treat time. Bacon. I'm getting a pizza. You know, and those are the, so those things are hard to cut out. The things yeah. that are, the things that we, tend to like have these issues with are things that have been with us for a long time and that we have some kind of emotional like bond with or you know they comfort food for us. Comfort food. So yeah, it's it, it's tricky but I you know at some point I had to make the decision. Do I want to feel good now or do I want to feel good later? Because I could eat this donut now and I'll feel good for for right now seconds. and it's the next <laughs> this next thirty seconds. I'm gonna be happy, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, do like how am I gonna feel after that? Yeah. Like, do I like what do I have to do? Can I afford being like half of myself? You know, like yes. being run down, and you know I've got things to do. Can I afford to like be lethargic and like have feel have this feeling of a bomb in my stomach? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I had to prioritize. I had to like prioritize. Like myself and like my sense of like wanting to feel good. Yeah. One thing I found super helpful that Eric Gonzi uh, recommended to me, he's one of the coaches in the service. And he, uh, he recommended, so plant medicine to be amazing, habit change is that thing. Oh, yeah. We'll dig into that in a moment. But one thing he recommended to me that I found super helpful is if you eat something you knew you weren't supposed to eat, grab a note card. Have them on hand or and then just real quick write in the emotion you were feeling just before you eat the thing. Because so often our trigger for eating a comfort food is an emotion that we didn't want to feel. And then all of a sudden we're running away from, oh, I feel insecure because I wanted that person to like me. I wasn't sure if they were going to. So then I grabbed the pizza <laughs> so I didn't have to feel anything except the shitty. <laughs> you know, that's... That, that's been huge for me. And it's yeah, I've, I've come to that I've come to that point. And like as I'm as of whatever it is the, the the thing that shall not be named the candy bar the 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 whole bag of trail mix mm-hmm. whatever it is it's I'm like okay something okay there's something that's causing yeah. like this reaction because I really should just go have some peanut butter and and uh, some carrots right. but this it's right like, here this mm-hmm. there's something uh, there's something about this that that's that's yeah, I'm feeling some kind of way that this is going to like cover up or 
there's squash. Well, I think it's just the prediction in general is uh, it's an addiction to feeling a certain specific way to not feel something else. So usually that stems from traumas, but it can be micro traumas. It doesn't need to be this big grand trauma. It can be these little traumas that you've experienced. But like, let's say you like love cigarettes. It's like, why are you seeking a cigarette out? Because it produces a state of being over and over again, repeatedly. So you chase that because you don't want it. What are you running from? What are you trying not to feel? And that's where I think medicines like psilocybin, Aya, ayahuasca can be so, so powerful is they really force you to run towards those things. And you could use them to run away. Aya, especially, I don't think you're using to run away from shit. Psilocybin, you could if you did it like a concert, but like, I love those because they kind of force you to go, what's this thing I'm trying to run away from? Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Somebody early on in my my ayahuasca career, somebody told me something that's proven like proven true over and over and over again. I, and I would find myself repeating it over and over and over again because it's it just it's true. You know, the medicine doesn't show you doesn't give you what you want, it gives you what you need. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't do work for you either. It shows you like it'll bring you to that point. You know, whatever that is that in the moment where I'm going for that cheeseburger or corn dog or whatever it is, in the moment I might not be able to like like get to the root of that, where wherever that's coming from, that, that impulse. But but yeah, the the medicine will like strip it all away and take you right there. So it'll just show you. Here's the thing. Oh yeah, yeah. And then that addiction thing that you deal with, here's the thing underlying it. It's for something that will change. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, whatever it whatever it may be. And it's like and I don't know if I don't know if I really prescribe like the idea of a different an addictive personality. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I I don't know if I really believe in mm-hmm. believe that that certain people are more are more like predisposed to having those kind of tendencies. Sure. I'm sure I'm sure some people are, but but uh, but yeah, I think a lot of it, as you said, stems from some sort of uh, individual trauma. Yeah. And I suppose trauma can come from you know, gener- generational instances mm-hmm. where you can inherit that and take on some of that and be predisposed to um, certain kind of addictive behaviors. I mean, I, I guess I've kind of I've kind of felt like that myself. Mm-hmm. I've always had like an addictive personality, mm-hmm. I guess, or I've had. Like a predilection to being like overdoing things, whether it's uh, exercise, like exercise, like kettlebell running, like jujitsu, whatever I've been into, I seem to tend to find find a way to just take it too far. Right. Uh, even med- even meditation, mm-hmm. you can go there with meditation. I was reading. I got addicted to read. Well, uh, Lord of the Rings, yeah. or not Lord of the Rings, but uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. His book, I read all his books back to back to back yeah. over the course of several weeks. I yeah. didn't leave my apartment six hours a day, like yeah. after work, mm-hmm. after work three hours a day, and then on the weekends, jujitsu in the morning, and then six hours in the afternoon. Yeah. Like, yeah, and I, I get it. I, cannabis, or, you know, alcohol, different mm-hmm. substances. It's like, yeah, there's, there's always some underlying something underlying that's 
that's kind of propelling you towards this learning. Yeah, things that you didn't know that aren't good for you. Yep. But you just, and maybe they're not bad necessarily, but but in, often in, in quantities or the amounts that I, I tend to find myself doing things. Yeah, two hours of hot yoga a day for 10 days or not. Maybe not necessarily. Maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe not great. What I was fun too is like the differentiation for me, because I think people can be addicted to just about anything. Differentiation for me is like, are you choosing it consciously or are you choosing it unconsciously? Because so often I'm exactly the same as you in the book. I think it's funny because I have a vivid memory of there's this Stephen King book, Under the Dome. And I read that book, it's like 1100 pages long. I read it in one fucking night. I just like read through the night until it was like 7 a.m. <laughs> finished the book and I'm like, I did it. And then I'm like, what did I just do? Yeah, now I'm screwed. But it's, it would be fine if I read it over the course of two <laughs> weeks. But it's like, it's that unconscious choosing where I was just like in addiction mode, not thinking about what's best for me right now. I'm in that unconscious mode that's such differentiation. Same for alcohol, same with anything. It's like I drink very occasionally. But it's the difference between going out every weekend to get fucked up, or I'm gonna have two or three glasses of wine with my friends while we come over here and watch UFC fights. Like, it's a totally different mindset when I'm choosing, you know, what I used to not choose. <laughs> chose me. Yeah, big, big difference. And, and it's, it's interesting because I, I find myself being more aware now, um, just because in my older age and my experiences, I'm, I'm more aware. But the but that pull, it doesn't seem any less, like, it doesn't seem any less intense for me. Like, I'm certainly more aware and like, I recognize, I see myself playing out the same scenario mm-hmm. over and over again, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I think uh, that just means, you know, there's still something there that needs to get yeah. excavated. Absolutely. And sometimes, like you said, generally, generational trauma, the science is starting to come out about it now, mm-hmm. and I think each their own. I'm, I'm agnostic on the way that it's transferred. So whether it's like generational trauma is floating around in the ether and then as you become born it attaches itself to you, or if it's just the way your parents parent you because of the way they were parented, because of the way they were parented before that, it could be either. I'm not you know, I'm not attached to one one of those, but either way, generational trauma is a real thing that people don't take into account. Your parents had a fucked up life growing up. To think that that's not going to carry over to the kid in some way is kind of naive. And it's something that's starting to address now that plant medicine does this beautifully that it can unbind that trauma. And I like using the word unbind specifically because I think you mentioned this earlier, but it's like all these plant medicines can drag up these issues and then you have to do the work. It's not like they, they're just like, it's fixed, you're good to go. <laughs> it's, here's the issue, go do something like this. Because what have you seen in ceremonies that you've sort of been like, people try to shit out and then they start to work on it and they come back six months later for the next ceremony and they're like, better? Whoa, what'd you do? Yeah, you know, man, I've seen, uh, I'm super blessed, I've seen, I've seen so many, and it's, it's, it's interesting, 
Uh, to, to your first question, uh, I like the word uh, unbinding when talking about like, generational stuff because I've had I've gone through through some experiences and and I think I think as far as like generational trauma and trauma that you inherit or you know, inherit from from relatives, your loved ones, your ancestors, whatever that may be. I think um, I think the you know, every, everybody's going to be everybody's going to have their own kind of Everybody's different. They got everybody's got their little quirks and quirks and tweaks and all things. And what I've seen for myself and what I've, what I've had other people tell me is that they meant to ceremonies. And oh, I always, I always, I always shied away from from this. I never, I never liked playing with animals. Like I never liked playing with like I was never an animal person. I like cats or dogs. Like, but in you know in the ceremony. Animal came to me and it was beautiful, and then I realized that you know, down the line, you know, I was on a like I was one of my ancestors had like moved something in the right. past. I got attacked by a wolf, and then I fucking hate dogs now. It's I've, I've heard things like that, mm-hmm. you know, multiple times or from past lives. Yeah. Um, people uh, relive past life traumas. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've and I, I can recall quite. Quite a few, and I've done uh, quite a lot of past life regression meditation, and I can recall quite a few of my past life in, in pretty great detail. And like, but I always thought I was, I always thought I was just weird because I've always been drawn to, uh, drawn to like living in small spaces, sure, and and not having things, not having possessions, minimalist, very minimalist, where. You know, in the, in the culture that we live in, it's like the more stuff you have. When I was, when I was, you know, towards the tail, tail end of my college career, when my friends were starting to accumulate houses and cars and and, and big things, I was moving in the other direction. It just never felt comfortable to me. And uh, I've, I've got a sibling who, who went in that direction. Nice house, yeah. a bunch of stuff here, house, car, um, the whole deal. Good paying job. And and like I always I always had this feeling about myself about like I never wanted that right but I I judged myself for not wanting that and then as a ceremony or over a series of ceremonies I was showing past lives where I didn't look I lived in a cell I lived I lived in a cell uh, nothing on the walls like I if I close my eyes and like and I think about it I can go back I can see like there was a little, like a little window, a little, little hole in the wall I could see out of, and it was just, just like cement walls, yeah. and a pad, and just like I don't even know if it was a pad, just like a cloth to lay on, just this tiny little room, and I, but I, I had that experience for many times, and now I live in a van now, yeah. so. And even that, like, right. I have more stuff. Yeah. I have more stuff than I. The feel fucking like, room moves. Holy yeah, shit! I have more stuff than I feel like I need. I'm like, wow. But I, so I was able to release through through that understanding, through the medicine energy, things that showed me. I was able to kind of be okay with and release this right. this self judgment yes. that I, that I've been holding over myself. And I, I didn't know why because I didn't quite fit in with my family's idea or the society at large's idea, society's idea. It's like. It just brought me a lot of inner peace. Like, yeah. like, oh, okay, so 
yeah, this is not quite what my parents had in mind for me, but that's okay because this is why I'm like, if I try, if I try to squeeze the square peg into a round hole, um, that's that's when I start to like notice my addictive behavior start to come back and like I'm 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 just not feel less like myself and more like I'm trying to pretend to be somebody else. Walking. That's how I put it. That's how I felt for a long time in my old job. Just like you try to I find it's like you have your true path. You're supposed to be on it. Basically get off of it and get off into the woods here. It becomes harder to see. And like when you're over here in the woods and you're not on your path Good luck trying to get any habit to stick positively. Like, I was always grasping at straws, trying to get everything to work. And like, well, I'm going to keep this consistent workout habit. I'm going to get my diet in check. <laughs> but it's like, I wasn't doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm so far off my path that I'm just like trying to make other shit work to make myself happy. Once I come back to where I am now, where I'm on my path, that is the most consistent I've ever been working out. It's the best my diet's ever been. The most happy I've ever been. Because I'm in alignment with what I'm supposed to be doing. Such a different feeling. It, it is. It is, and like, I feel, and, and I, I feel, I feel the same way. But, but for me, like, that that alignment, my path is not easy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's, right. it's not often often not easy and often not comfortable. Yeah. So I find myself like, you know, letting myself drift over here. Yeah, like, oh, it's a nice tree over there. I'll go check it out. And, but. But yeah, but then ultimately, yes, I find my my meditation practice, my yoga practice, like my practices get off, and like my eating eating gets off. So no, it's, there's no easy because there's there's no easy way around doing the you know, doing the work and doing it cons- yeah. consistently. Yes, yeah. consistency is is a is a big key. And you know, speaking of getting back to the ceremony, it's, it's interesting. Some people. Some people seem to really like having consistency. Yes. Um, I think uh, some people, they're one and done. That was the greatest, craziest, worst night of my life. I'll never forget this, and I'm never coming back. I've never seen that face again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if when the medicine calls people, it calls them for a reason. I just can't believe that. And I guess when I talk about working with medicine, ayahuasca, it hasn't it hasn't always been a, hasn't always been the case, but uh, I just have a a lot of belief in it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've I've just seen it work. I've seen it work. I've seen people change enough times that I'm I, I grew up and like trained as a like kind of in the science within the scientific model. Mm-hmm. Like we need we need research. We need evidence. Like, I was kind of trained that way, and part of me still really. Like, I want to see evidence of things happening, people. Mm-hmm. But the, kind of the way I talk about it now is like, I just believe. Like, I, like the medicine has showed me so many times through and through that, you know, what is happening is positive and beneficial for people in the long run, Absolutely. even though in the moment, uh, in the moment it might be really challenging. Uh, and, and quite often it is mm-hmm. that the end result is going to be. Um, is going to be for the person's best good. Um, you know, we have people, and I, and I think people. I think there's a. 
people have a now everybody's got rhythms. Like we have a circadian rhythm. There's like a there's the, the height of the rhythm of the moon. There's there's all these rhythms. Rhythm of the year, five days, the seasons. I think people people have a kind of innate spiritual rhythm. Yeah. That they're not connected to. Most people aren't aren't connected to. And I think this this uh, this belief kind of comes from a, a past like memory that that I was an indigenous person in South America, mm-hmm. and uh, my culture um, community that I lived in, we work with the medicine, but we we had ceremonies every two weeks on the on the new moon yeah. and on the full moon, yeah. and you know, in, in doing research and looking into it afterwards, mm-hmm. that's like. Yeah, that's how the indigenous people yeah. did it. Every, you know, super consistent. The pagans, everybody had the new moon, the full moon, and so, and in in the, in the culture, in the community that that I was in, the new moon, they, they considered the moon like the eye of God. So on the new moon or on the full moon, with, with the big eyeball in the sky yeah. looking at you, it was like God was examining you. Right during during on that night, you you did like the real serious work. You, yeah. You examine your relationships with your family members. Like, what am I doing right? What am I not doing right? Like, how can I best help my community? Yeah. God was looking at you. I like that as a metaphor too. It's like all your shit's laid bare under this light. And everybody, yeah, and yeah. everybody, the whole community did it. So it was like everybody's shit was out there. They're like, there's no secrets. And then on the new moon, it's like God's eye was closed. So uh, God's eye is closed on the new moon. So that's when people would wipe swap and mm-hmm. go, go out and get drunk yeah. and 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 do you know just yeah. do do what yeah no okay, have, I'm not looking have have fist you know yeah. if there's a, a dispute that had to be settled settle have settled with fisticuffs that's uh, that's when it happened and, and then it was done yeah you know what it, it was done and people would get wild that night mm-hmm. but then you know it, but it was a balance for yeah. the you know there's both ends of that spectrum. And those the ceremonies help balance, you know, bring balance to, to the community. Yeah. So, and going going through ceremonies and meeting a lot of different people, I believe that people. So, you know, from our ancestors, we have this ingrained like kind of spiritual mm-hmm. rhythm. Right. And after a ceremony, or people have a experience, you know, spiritual experience, they have, can have this like real. They can kind of get sparked, like right. woken up. Oh, this thing is within me. And they might not recognize it right away, but after a period of time, they're like, feel this good call. Go back. Yeah. Like, I feel like I want to go again. I feel like I'm not, like, I feel like I need to again. Right. And, and I think, I think for, mo- for most people, having, uh, whether it's, whether or not you're trying to do an ayahuasca ceremony every two weeks, for most people, it's going to be a lot. Right. Unless you grew up in that, unless you, unless you kind of grew up in that culture. Yeah. Which you know in South America places are super common. Yeah, yeah. So every yeah, every two weeks. But um, I think and whether or not it's ayahuasca or whatever it may be, yeah. I think just setting time, whether or not it's exactly on the full moon or exactly mm-hmm. on the new moon, but trying to get a, a cycle of like yeah. having some sort of setting time aside to do some sort of spiritual practice. Yeah. If, if you if you feel drawn to be in ceremony, yeah. that can really it's, I think it's important to be in ceremony if you're called to it, mm-hmm. but develop, developing your own kind of personal 
rhythm and like your own personal style and your own personal kind of ceremony is uh, can really be beneficial in, in helping and in helping satiate that that kind of instinct of yeah. the heavens in the ceremony every so often. It's really interesting. I like I like that whole concept. That was a nice a nice piece there because I think it makes a lot of sense too because some people get the calling to be a medicine person. And those are the people who probably their spiritual items telling them, like, it's time to go back to the medicine, time to go back to the medicine. And they're probably innately able to handle more, more often ceremonies. And, you know, any culture that's developed, we needed the people who are not in the medicine all the time. We need the people who are like, I figured out how to make a plow to farm this shit. Nah, it's important yeah. too. So it makes sense that it be sort of spiritual cadence and that everyone would have a different spiritual cadence because everyone's called to different things. Just like people are called to different jobs out in the world, they're called to different innate spiritual professions. I like the idea so which one that has a nice balance to it because then I like what you said about the new moon and the full moon. I like that that honors the human experience because it's not just I'm this enlightened being, I'm perfectly spiritual. It's also like yeah, sometimes we're gonna fight fucking drink. <laughs> like that's important too. Part of the human experience. Yeah, there is a in, in those cultures, I mean it's a it's a celebration. These, right. the, even in the even in the, the difficult ones, there's like you're happy to be alive. Right. It's a celebration of all the ways. So this this big concept. I think it is I've noticed for myself that my cadence is probably a little bit more often the average person and not I struggled with it for a long time until I started to really look in on the honor and like it's a it's an uncovering for each person because you have to understand like yeah you probably can't use Aya to escape from stuff but you can use mushrooms to escape from stuff you're just like I want to go to Funland every week because yeah. I don't want to eat shit you can use it for that it really work take the good dose price it doesn't smack you down but it's a it's important to uncover for yourself what that cadence is and then to honor it because at first I felt guilty like I once a month at least but usually like once every other week I try to go somewhere and that used to for me especially knowing my past addiction of alcohol just felt like I'm betraying myself so I started to really go okay am I using this intentionally yes I am am I honoring it like a ceremony yes I am okay I don't think there's anything wrong with that no, and I think you, you know, and, and afterwards, I think you know afterwards, because mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've certainly, certainly indulged at times where, I mean, not like, oh, this will, yeah, mushrooms are good, they'll help me out, I yeah. like, you know, or I've done stretches of many ceremonies in a row, um, helping out, and it's like, it's been, especially with the mushrooms, yeah, I had an experience, but do I feel... Like I got anything. Mm -hmm. Like, do I feel like I got anything out of it? And that's yeah. always something I want to, you know, I, I like to um, think about afterwards and like reflect on. Like, okay, wow, that was an experience, or it wasn't an experience, or whatever it was. And do I feel? Do I feel like I've got something useful? Right. Is, is, can I can I apply what just happened to my life to make to make me better in, in any you know in any facet? Yeah. And in the times where I, I do that check, I'm like, oh, I just kind of didn't get it. Yeah, it's, yeah, and, and, and I, don't, I don't feel it. There's like yeah. a, there's a feeling like, okay, well, I'll 
pump the brakes or or assess your intention. Sometimes you know, you know things are just okay. Sometimes things are okay, and you don't need records. You don't need ceremony. Like if you're doing, you know, like if you're doing the work and you're like doing the things that you're supposed to, often like the amount of time you need ceremony is fairly minimal, right? Like when things come up, uh, you know, something big happens in your life, or you come to a crossroads on something. But uh, and I think Terence McKenna had had the right idea on on uh, large doses and frequently. Yeah. For I think for, for a lot of people, for a lot of people, that's that's the way to go. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely feel that. I feel that for myself as well. Large doses and solitude, um, minimal distraction. Right. Yeah, you you can take it. You, know, you can take it every you know on a on a really regular basis. I know that microdosing has become pretty popular. I know there's quite a few people who do that. Um, you can you can get that like that little little baseline, that low level psilocybin buzz. So like you can get that with nicotine. So yeah. you can get that with uh, cannabis. But but uh, yeah, have doing the large doses infrequently right. and will, as you said, smack you down. And yeah. Yeah. You you walk away from from those, especially especially if you if you're going into it truly after not having a big experience over a period of time. It's really shocking. Yeah, I think it's so two things. I think my friend Brandon and I had a conversation that spawned this this metaphor. I can't remember which one, but they kind of all together. So just to give him some credit, Brandon, I see you, brother, but I don't know which one of us brought this up. But this analogy, metaphor, they really liked, which is psychedelics are like building a cabin. So when you go out into the forest to chop down a tree to make a cabin, that's taking a psychedelic. Now, all you do all the time is take psychedelics, and all of a sudden you're standing in a clearing, every tree around you is chopped down, you have no fucking idea where you are. There's no more trees to cut down, your axe is dull. The integration and the coming back is draining the earth back to the cabin and building the fucking cabin. So you can't just go all the time and not bring anything back. You're not bringing anything back. Like, I've seen these people, and LSD specifically, I think, has a propensity to do this to people, but I've seen the mushrooms too, where they sort of have this spun out, glazed look. Like, almost like they're just like zombie mode. And it's just, they're going to that place too often. They get a little detached from reality. Yeah. And then they're just kind of like lost. They're not bringing anything back anymore. They're just going there over and over again. Something to be aware of, and it's something to watch. And I agree with you with like large dosing frequently. I think people have a the difficulty of your trip is often predicated on how unconsciously you've been living up to the trip. So if you have been living super fucking unconsciously for 25 years, and then you do five grams of mushrooms, you're gonna have a fucking difficult trip. Because it's gonna be everything you've been doing wrong for twenty five years leading up to that point. If you've been living your life correctly, I've had this experience. I'm sure you have, but like you've been on it, and then you go do a, a plant medicine experience, whatever it might be, and it's kind of like pretty fucking good. It's kind of like a pat on the back. Yeah. Like, oh, not getting like you're right. not showing. Sure. Like, oh, I okay, yeah, this was that makes sense. You told me to do this, and right. I did it. And I, I 
I'm not throwing up. Yeah. Uh, but being healthy, so I'm not throwing up for the, uh, exactly. for the first fold of the first night. Like, oh, sweet. Yeah. No astral smackdown on the way. Funny how, like, how that works. Right. Yeah. I think it is, it's useful to look at that way too, because it's. I try to approach my life like a ceremony and like, how can I honor the experience that I get to have here as a human? Well, I can honor it by doing some of the things that I would do if I'm in preparation for ceremony. That's eat, right? Take care of my body, meditate, journal. These are all the things that I would do before ceremony. So why can't I honor the rest of my life like a ceremony? What I do helps me feel the best. That's why I'm the most integrated. So. Yeah, and uh, the, you know, we, there's a group of Colombians that mm. uh, they were taking, taking on a lot of, I've heard that from the elders over and over again, like, life is a ceremony, mm. and what you learn in medicine is going to show you something, you need to bring that into your life, and and to make manifest something positive from that. Yeah. I like that, that analogy of the, uh, the trees, uh, the, the cabin, and the and chopping down all the trees but not doing anything with them. Uh, the, the same kind of analogy I use is like, I heard that I've heard used as like homework. Mm-hmm. Medicine will give you homework. You chop down this tree and your homework is bring it over there and like, put it on the log cabin, on the cabin. If you don't do your homework, like, you, you become, and that, that kind of glazed look that you, that you talked about, mm-hmm. it's like, there's like an ungroundedness to it. Yeah, exactly. Like a, like, oh, I've, I had all these experience. I've stacked up all these, stacked up all these logs. Mm-hmm. I haven't done anything. I haven't done the integration work. Yeah. It's like, how do I go? Like, I got a stack of homework mm-hmm. sheets. This is tall. How do I go about? Where do I? Where do I start? Right. And for and for a lot of people, um, yeah, it can be it can be a daunting task. It just mm-hmm. seems fun. We'll see back in the medicine. I'll yeah, I'll really fix. Yeah, I'll just. Uh, I'll just. Yeah, I'll just have another ceremony and then I'll do the whole thing again. But yeah, then at some point all the trees are level. You stop getting the medicine stops showing these things. I've experienced this. I've I had many people tell me this. People work with a lot or, or very frequently. They'll stop showing you things. I already showed you what you need. Yeah, what you need to what you need to do. Like until you take care of that, we can't we can't get to the you know, to the stuff that's below that and take take care of that first. Absolutely. And I think we it can be difficult for those people, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes, that many people expect these things to be a quick fix. I'm gonna take the mushrooms, I'm gonna take the ayahuasca and everything's gonna be fixed. I'm gonna come back to my life and it's gonna be perfect. It's gonna be a rude awakening for them when they have a big experience. So it feels like there is a fix. And they come back home and things are the same. And they don't understand what happened. It's like you didn't bring people back with you. So it could be scary because they're like, this was supposed to fix it. Everything was falling apart. Well and, and it's and it's it's tough, you know. I've seen often people like people who are new to the medicine, people in those kind of situations, they've got a life, you know, they've got a whole life that they've built up over years and years and years, life patterns, relationships, jobs. There's a whole infrastructure, there's a whole infrastructure there, and it's big and it's complex and it's your life, and it doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. or it's, it's not making you happy, it's not fulfilling, whatever that is, and and you're not sure, you don't know, like how do I remedy this situation? 
when you when you have a plant medicine experience and you it shows you oh you gotta stand up for yourself you gotta set boundaries you gotta do the thing that it shows you is often usually cha- it's challenging to do yes. because you've been the if it was easy to do you would have been doing it and you would have avoided the situation that you're in yes. and it shows you this um, thing that you that are challenging that you have to do so you leave the ceremony space and you get plopped right back into it mm-hmm. and it's like it can be overwhelming it's like okay, I the message showed me like what I need to do. I need to have this job and work in one whatever it is. But this job helps support all this on my on my infrastructure. Yeah. Like, what am I? So now not only am I stuck with this this crazy life that I that I don't necessarily want, I'm also now have to change it. Like, yeah. I don't. I'm aware that it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm aware that's wrong. I'm aware that there's that there's things that I need to do to remedy the situation, but but it's just sound, it just feels it just feels like so much. Yeah. And and just just like that, and just in the same way that that situation didn't appear overnight, you, you can't you can't fix it overnight. Yeah. It just takes uh, it just takes a lot. It takes time and effort and and um, like persistence. Yeah. Just a little bit, like doing the doing the small things, making the small steps in the right direction, uh, over time will will make a will, will make a change. Like there's there's just no way around it. As long as you're as long as you're taking the steps and doing the work and, and being consistent about it, he, your life will start to change and before you know it, um, before you know it, you see the person walks in the ceremony, hey, like hey, and they're like oh hey hey Ian, like hey good to see you. Like, clearly I know you, but I don't recognize yeah, you. you really light. <laughs> like, I had this I had this uh, experience recently. Uh, I was in Tucson speaking at the the Tucson Psychedelic Society, and beforehand this guy came up to me, uh, shook my hands like hey Ian, good to see you. And I was like looks so open I'm like yeah. good to see you too. Yeah. And I'm like <laughs> he introduced himself. Don't know. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I could tell we'd been in ceremonies together. Yeah. Like, that's kind of weird. It's like, yeah, I've been in ceremonies together. I'm like, yeah. yeah. But now I remember. Two days later, at like nine o'clock in the morning, I was just coming out of ceremony mm-hmm. and like the lights snapped on. Mm-hmm. That, no way. that guy. <laughs> I, I met that guy in the fall. I met that guy in the fall in Joshua Tree at a mm-hmm. ceremony. He warned him one night, and it was a struggle for him, and it didn't seem like he, like in the morning, I could tell he was disappointed. Right. He had nice things to say, and he was pleasant, he was interesting, mm-hmm. but like he didn't get what he came for. Yeah. And I saw him. So, so yeah. So he left, and I saw him a couple months later. And I'm like, see him again. Craziest thing. I went home. I went home, and the, two days later, I went on a hike, and I was like, kind of upset about like, there's something still bugging me. I was thinking about it. He's like, the thing that was bugging me is like, I kind of surrendered to it. I don't. He's like, I surrendered. I um, gave into it and like accepted it. And, like, and right there on this mountain, on this hiking trail somewhere in southern Arizona, yeah. boom. So yeah. like full blown visions. Yep. Uh, visuals. He said my trip started. Right then, I had yep. a full blown experience, 
and he's uh, not been great ever since. And he lost a bunch of weight. He's wearing a crazy tie dye shirt. When I first saw him, he's kind of buttoned up yeah, and like real stiff. Mm-hmm. He was talking about Grateful Dead. I didn't even recognize the guy. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I did not even recognize the guy. And he said he's coming into that ceremony. He'd been drinking too much. Mm-hmm. And he knew it. And he didn't have met a lot of close family. He didn't have a lot of people to like. A lot of people close to him, but drinking was too much. So after that, after that experience on that hike, it didn't even like alcohol wasn't even a thing anymore. Yeah, and he's like, I was completely shocked. Yeah. So let's talk two things here. So yeah. I think, so number one, what would be? I'll circle back to this, but the healing potential for these for addiction specifically, because that's what I've seen as well from, but also the integration piece. So one thing I think. I've seen you in a bunch of the integration calls post IA ceremonies. Um, that's mm-hmm. with the Arizona Rehabilitation uh, Association that does those. Um, integration is like the untalked um, about piece that's so, so important. And it's what makes the difference between doing things right and doing things wrong. And I think what's so smart about the way you guys do it is that you, what happens to a lot of people is they come home from a big experience. And nobody around them has had any type of experience similar to that. And then they're alone. It's probably going to be very isolating. They feel a little crazy. Like, I don't know what the fuck just happened. <laughs> but now I'm home with my family that doesn't know about these things. So I have no one to talk to about it. And it's like those integration calls or forming a community with the people you experience medicine with. And especially if you're from last city, you have someone near your home. So that the people in your city, yeah. um, that can be. The biggest lever to pull because you want those people to lean on. It's like, God, I really don't want to tell my boss to fuck off today. <laughs> but if I lean on my community, making a little support and go, hey, you know, you can do this. Come on, you got this. It's such a big piece. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's maybe over overemphasized. I mean, thank you for bringing that up. You know, maybe overemphasized in ceremonies. Yeah, is a really important important part of it. But integration is. I mean, it's it's just. Equally as important, if not if not more so. Um, and yeah, and so yeah, with the Arizona Yahoo Assembly, we do a we do a call every couple of weeks, and we answer people's uh, questions. People post questions on, on Facebook and send those questions via email. And often they're pretty general questions, questions we've heard a lot, but people um, people have them. Um, a lot of people have the same type of questions, and and yeah, it can be very very isolating. One of the one of the things that I got. Uh, very early on in my working with uh, ayahuasca, was the feeling that I need to stay connected to the people that I that I meet in ceremony, mm-hmm. and I found that to be so so valuable. And there are a lot of my best friends now yeah. are people who have had these experiences with me. You know, for for as much as a, uh, I'm just thinking of my family and, and mm-hmm. the way most people's families are, if if you're having these experiences with with psilocybin or ayahuasca or these ceremony type experiences, a lot of people aren't having those experiences. So in, in the container of the, the ceremonies, you connect with people, you know, people you just met, you connect with them on a, on a really deep level. Yes. More deeply than you connected with a lot of your family members. Oh, absolutely. So you go back to your family members and it's like, you know, your love for them isn't diminished or the amount of care for them isn't diminished. That's not diminished whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But it's still like it's clearly obvious that you don't have this 
the connection that you had with the person, right. the random person who was you know two feet away right. from you, you guys, on that. You guys purged together for two yeah. hours. Growing up, <laughs> growing up next to each other and then crying <laughs> together in the morning or right. whatever. And like, ooh, I've never had that kind of depth of an experience with mm-hmm. a lot of new family members. Yeah. And then, can, yeah, and that can make people feel, feel quite isolated. Yeah. And then and experiences that people have um, in ceremonies, they're, they're like truly sacred. And often they're ineffable. Like you, we just don't have language that's appropriate to describe those situations. So when you go to somebody who's, who's, who just know doesn't that. know, it's like, how do you, it's like, my feeling is like trying to describe some of the experiences I have in ceremony to somebody who who's just doesn't have vocabulary or a way to, or a way to understand right. it. It's almost inappropriate and just kind of, it almost does a disservice to this sacred moment or an experience that I shared and putting it up there for somebody to paint with their own, you know, project their own feelings on it, onto it. Do you like me trying to describe this to someone this painting behind us and go, yeah, there's two dragons and there's a guy in the middle. He's not really a guy, he's more like a tr- a tree energy man. Yeah, but also the dragons are made out of machine parts, but also, and just like, you'd never be able to explain it accurately versus what the real picture was. And it can be, because I've had this experience myself, until you craft yourself a friend group, or at least an acquaintance group that you can reach out to about this stuff who's been in that medicine space, it can be detrimental to talk about it to people who have not been in that space because they are going to look at you and they're going to question your experience and that's going to make you question your experience. And people will put, you know, people project how they feel about, you know, spirituality. They'll project about how they feel about any situation, onto, you know, yes. anything onto that. So we don't have, you know, English, we just don't have words to describe, to describe it. And, you know, the Tibetans and the Hindus, they had, they had quite a lot more vocabulary around them, but they're just not there. And it's, I like that, that analogy. I often say it's like trying, like trying to paint the Mona Lisa with three, three colored crayons. Yeah. It's like, I can do it. There's <laughs> face. Okay. I'll find one. Yeah. It just, it doesn't work. So, you know, it's, and having, having time and, and I think going back to immigration, people's, the frequency that people can feel called back to ceremony often i feel like it kind of coincides with people's ability to to integrate mm-hmm. if you're if you're in a situation where you've got a, a low like a minimal stress situation you work like 35 40 hour a week you've got a lot of freedom and you're in a situation where you have a long time where you can do that you know you're probably likely to be ready you know to process what you need to process and be ready for a ceremony more a little sooner than the person, the guy who works 50 hours a week and has a wife and three kids and, and, you know, a law practice or whatever it may be, that person's, their time is really devoted to a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And so they're able to spend the time, however long it may take to do the integration work, you know, often the ceremony just probably isn't the right spot to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's important for people to acknowledge that going in and if they have the means to be able to, to take some time off after the ceremony. Huge. Because holy crap, it was a game. The first ceremonies I did with you, that was right back into work the day after ceremony. And luckily I crafted some time later that week to actually get some time to really process. So I still got a ton out of it. But 
night and day difference from the first set of ceremonies to the second set of ceremonies that we were in just recently, where I work for myself now, and I had a week to just fucking literally had nothing on my plate except to sit in my car. It's like game changer. Makes a huge difference. Makes a huge difference when you are here and having time to yourself, being able to do that, and being able to go outside, spending time mm-hmm. in, in nature. Um, as much as you can after ceremony seems to be really helpful for the integration process. Yeah. yeah. Uh, nature's natural vibration is just health. Mm-hmm. It's it's alive. Nature is just life. Yeah. And just putting yourself, you know, taking yourself out of the out of the asphalt and yeah. the concrete of the city and putting yourself out into nature, being surrounded by life, you just soak it up. And you're after ceremony, you're kind of more open, more open. Mm-hmm. You're just more energetically open, just generally more open, so you, you soak it up more. The same way, if you go back into your toxic job situation, mm-hmm. you really feel the toxicity. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So let's talk a little bit about um, let's talk about some of these plant medicines and their potential for curing addiction. I know you're talking a little bit about God that came in, so alcoholic, and then we kind of had that subside. What's some of what you've seen? What do you think is the potential there. Oh, man, there's a there's a huge potential in in treating addiction through the use of psychedelics. Uh, I know there's a lot of research that's happening right now. Um, looking at alcohol, looking at treating alcohol abuse, cocaine abuse, tobacco, um, nicotine. It's a, it's a huge area for uh, um, for, for possibility perspective. For people to be helped, where whereas um, often regular treatments are uh, the 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 model that we that we use right now under our current healthcare system, it, it doesn't. I mean, it works for some people, but for the majority of people, it just doesn't work. The people go back to their old behaviors and and, and find themselves, yeah, um, finding themselves in these kind of recurring patterns. And, uh, so. And I see, you know, I think psilocybin and, and ayahuasca, are, are, you know, ibogaine is a big one uh, that, that's used for that. For opiates, especially. Huge, huge in helping people with opiate addictions. I think I mentioned to you earlier, my, uh, I've got a friend who was in the military, special forces, who, who, who has worked with a group down in Mexico where they take um, veterans with pretty severe PTSD and people who are seeing like a real serious combat. Situations um, often the only way to manage those people is to put them on, on opiates, so I have you know, have heavy amounts of really strong narcotics, yeah, to, for them to be able to like just keep it together. And, and you know, you know, it's done as a whole other thing, it's, just, it's, a, it's a shame that our, our veterans are, are, are treated that way, just kind of sedated and forgotten about, yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a shame, and uh, a lot of the work that I do is kind of. Specifically, uh, kind of geared towards people who've had traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. uh, and veterans, because because I've seen how the, these medicines help people. Yeah. You know, uh, psilocybin and ayahuasca, the, the molecule structurally is, is very similar, uh, and and they they bind to the the five HT two A receptor sites in the in the brain, the same the same sites that the serotonin works on, yeah. and much like. And, and ayahuasca and, and psilocybin are very similar in, in this regards. And I think 
they both kind of they both work a little differently, but like the, the, the physiological mechanisms are, are very similar. You know, and when the, when these substances are introduced into your neuro, neurological system, it reduces activity in the default mode network uh, part of your brain, which is responsible for your your, your sense of self, um, thinking of the future, thinking of the past, judgment. That that part of your brain becomes less active, and the other parts of your brain. And I always think of that part as kind of like the central hub, like the switchboard. The other parts of your brain, when the, when the default mode network is less active, the other parts of your brain become more active, and that allows for that allows for a lot more com- communication between parts of the brain. Right. That under normal circumstances, you know, you you've got you're going home from work, you take this road. I mean, there's we have so many set and determined patterns in our in our behavior, whether or not we admit it or are aware of it. We're very much creatures of uh, a pattern and, and a lot of repeating beha- um, pattern um, behavioral patterns. So when when something comes in, especially at, at higher doses like the, an ayahuasca or, or psilocybin, you know, at lower doses you start to have kind of minimal effects, but at the, at the higher doses, when your default mode network gets really suppressed, possibly even to the point of like ego death experience, that all those predetermined paths, the way you you would think, you know, the way you would, the way your mind would normally operate, gives your gives your brain an opportunity to like to make shortcuts around those old behavioral patterns, and those old uh, neuronal networks, and it's it's really it's not just an experiential thing; it's a physiological thing right. as well. So there's there's both of those components to it, and and if you get to those the point where there's an ego death, you know, often there's, there's a third component, which is uh, an aspect of spirituality to it, right? Where you have the realization that, you know, I'm more than, than just this, yeah. this weed vehicle, and I'm more than this chatty mind. Mm-hmm. There, there is something else. Right. Something yeah. behind the driver's seat, and I find yeah. it so interesting because it's, you know, these compounds have been shown to cause neurogenesis and I think some of what's happening in these experiences is sort of it wipes the past clean because especially in the presence of trauma, people have created so many deep ruts that they're going down the same path over and over and over again. The more they dig into that path, the deeper that trench becomes, the harder it is to get out. A lot of times these compounds are kind of whoosh. okay, now we're working from a basically clean slate. You can build whatever new path you want the trauma, through the trauma sometimes, but it might be it's just so powerful. Yeah, yeah, and I think and I think often there there's judgment around, you know, people getting in these ruts mm-hmm. and in these in these paths. And, and as you said, often they're they're a result of a trauma of some sort. Uh, something that happened when you were three years old and you were you were attacked by a German shepherd. Now every time every time you want to walk home you, you take a certain route because the neighbor, there's a neighbor's dog that barks and it makes you anxious. Yeah. Uh, what, whatever it may be, a lot of these a lot of these patterns aren't chosen. They're, you know, we we adapt and we, mm-hmm. these patterns um, they come from our, our surroundings, our parents, you know, whatever kind of crazy programming our parents mm-hmm. might have um, might have put in our heads. But these things do develop. It's part of human nature, and yeah. and it's, it's important to be able to. Get a different perspective on your on your behavior. Like, often the medicines they don't show you something that's not there. Like, 
we might we might have some kind of visual hallucinations like there are hallucinatory experiences that people have but they also show you something that's like right there that, right. You're, that you're doing all the time exactly. that you're just unaware of of its effects or or how it came to be how you came to be doing that yeah. or whatever it is it's these, these medicines are they can be hugely beneficial and yeah and kind of wiping the slate clean giving people an opportunity to kind of reassess their situation and whether or not these behavioral patterns we can see them as for what they are and you can choose whether or not those behavioral patterns are uh, work for you and if that's something you want to continue rather than just being stuck in it unconsciously absolutely yeah and it's safety for me my main experience i have um again i'm doing a therapy session with myself but just a good example for exactly what you're talking about is like i had a pattern where everything would go out with my friends i'd spend a bunch of money to buy all the shots i'd get the ubers and i'd just be like i'm spending the money in the MDMA therapy session, what was uncovered for me was where that pattern came from, which was when I was young, my dad expressed love for me hmm. by buying me things. The way I expressed all my love up to this session was buying other people things. And that was the trench I'd carved over and over and over again. This is how I show that I care. This is how I show that I care. And once I had the awareness around it, then I was able to consciously choose to not do that and to show my care for other people in different ways that were healthier, both financially for myself, but also healthier in terms of actually making them feel wanted and loved, not just like, okay, I was spending 20 bucks on a walk to family, versus, hey, I appreciate you, motherfucker. Like, yeah. it's such a different game. And I think all of these psychedelic comments be so, so game-changing for just changing that pattern that maybe we don't want to hold on to anymore. I think might have been Gabor Mate, who had this uh, framework of thinking about things, but it's like it's no judgment on the trauma, it's no judgment on the paths you created before. He said, oftentimes, these coping mechanisms that we developed at the time we developed them, they're a good strategy. Like they work you know, right then, right five minutes after the trauma, when you started that coping mechanism, it worked. Mm-hmm. But maybe it doesn't serve you anymore. And these contacts kind of be like a little, a little way to kind of wake up and look like, does this still serve me? And if it doesn't, what could I put in place that can help it? Yeah, yeah. And like I said, these coping mechanisms or these patterns can come from just sometimes it's evolution, like evolution, like mm-hmm. it's built into yeah. you to do to do certain things to you know vision or sweet tooth, you know, to mm-hmm. go after high calorie food yeah. like this. It's built into you. So it's yeah, it's, it can seem like an, an uphill battle. But uh and I think it, I think, yeah, you're, you're right. And uh, I really like Gavin Monte. He's, um, he's got a really, a really clear way of looking at things and, and, and not looking at these patterns or traumas um, through a lens of judgment. Right. You know, and I think judgment, whether it's uh, self, you know, judging yourself or judging your surroundings, um, you know, that's, that's one of the things that, that I see people dealing with a lot, whether it's you know, judging themselves, um, dealing with judgment from family members, uh, and often those two things can kind of tie together. But uh, oh, a lot when you people allow judgment, uh, other people's judgment, and what other people think of them to, to affect the way they act. To run their lives. Yes, and, and often, you know, often in ceremonies, I see people even just 
you just tell who's got an overbearing, who's got an overbearing parent. Yep. Like somebody comes in, you're like, oh, daddy issues or mommy issues. Yeah. It's, it's it's weird, but it's like it's a pattern, and then it's just a way of acting. Yeah. And I've seen that so many times. Like, it's like no judgment around that. You know, they didn't they didn't choose that situation. Right. Um, you know, people don't choose their traumas, so. And just trying to adapt or, or employ an attitude of non-judgment. Mm-hmm. I've studied quite a bit of Buddhism and, and practiced it for a while. And I, that was one of the things that really drew me to, to Buddhism and the Eastern philosophy, and particularly Buddhism, but being in, in, non, in a state of non-judgment. Yeah, I find it's, like it's very peaceful. It's absolutely. There's a reason why they meditate, you know, like people meditate and try to go to that state of, of non-judgment because it's like your body relaxes, your mind relaxes, it's good. Yeah. And the more you can maintain a, a state of non-judgment or relatively so, the better you feel. Like the better you feel about yourself, the better you feel about people around you, just your situation in general. The better your life is. Yeah, for the most part. I find, too, it's often in ceremony that it can be so like we're gonna hold that space of non-judgment, which takes practice. You don't just snap your fingers in the air overnight. But oftentimes, that's the first time people that are walking in the ceremony, whatever experience, being in a in a room full of just unconditional love, unconditional, non-judgmental love, and that oftentimes is the only medicine that goes along with it. Judgment-free zone, and like being being in a space. And, and often that's first time people have been around around somebody that's not judging them. Yeah. And you go to the ceremony, there's like there's a judgment at the door, and and when people are in that space, they just open up naturally, yeah. you know, without often before the med, before people even get to the get to the medicine, and they're, they're having deep conversations with people. They feel like they're in a safe space to be able to to, to express themselves without that. Without that judgment, I call it. I, I call days two through the end of day three the place between worlds for ayahuasca ceremonies because it feels like you step through a portal into a different fucking world because everyone's wide open at that point and it's just like it's just so peaceful. It's so devoid of any planning, devoid <laughs> of any plotting, devoid of any like judgment of others and like being in that space it's just like oh like oh this is possible this is good (laughs) like how how do we how do we seek this more often how do i how do i get here and stay here because i need to surround myself what situation i need to put myself in because yeah it's your body is going to distress the body's not not experiencing um, a lot of stress at that point. Mm-hmm. It's just, whoa. Yeah, and for a lot of people, it's the first time that they've, you know, that they may have been in that kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. God knows how long. Yeah. People come into a ceremony that are tight, yeah. just like shoulders, neck, back, like herky jerky, and then sort of like after three days, mm-hmm. they leave and they're moving different. Yeah. And it's like, like what? Yeah, you did not you did not get a Swedish massage right. like, you know, overnight. You just released some some stuff that was bound up within you. Yeah. So I'm getting pretty close to the end here. Um, I 
guess one more question, because this, this whole conversation probably triggered a bunch of people to go, holy shit, I want to go do plant medicine, which, awesome. What would you tell people, since you've facilitated a ton at this point, been in a lot of ceremonies, you've sat both as a participant and as a facilitator, what do you tell people to look for in their facilitators to know they're in the right place? Because there's, you know, there's scammers out there, and I know especially it can be prevalent in Peru where there's a lot of just like ayahuasca tourism at this point. There's a lot of bullshit that goes on. I heard some yeah, some pretty gnarly horror stories. What do you tell people to look for? You know, hey, if you want to be a facilitator and say this, run away. <laughs> or if they say these five things, it's probably a good person. Yeah, I mean, uh, first off, you should be able to, uh, to get into contact with, with an administrator or somebody who's running the program. Uh, and, and I guess I, I always tell people to kind of follow your instinct. If the person that, you know, if the, the group that you're trying to get into or the person running the ceremony is reliable, if they're, if they're consistent, um, I mean, you, you should be able to, to be in contact, in contact with those people at least. Uh, a lot of, I know a lot of groups have Facebook pages. Some have Facebook pages, and you can check, you can check, um, see different reports and see people's experiences there. Uh, Reddit's got some. I think there's there's an ayahuasca subreddit. There's a, a website. You know, I think Haya Trip Guide. Yeah, Haya Advisor. I think it's called. Haya Haya Advisor. There there are different resources and places you can look, but I think ultimately. Um, Having somebody within that organization that you can communicate with beforehand mm-hmm. and being comfortable, like you said, follow your intuition. If it seems like the person is, is reliable and responsive, and and then uh, and they're available, and then uh, yeah, you're, you're probably safe. Like I said um, from South America. There's a lot of ceremonies happening in South America and Peru. Iquitos is kind of the, the central hub of ceremonies down there. But uh, all throughout the Amazon basin, there's ceremonies. And I know we've talked about, and I've been participating in and facilitating ceremonies all around the country, mm-hmm. uh, quite a few at this point with, with different groups. And I, I very, I very rarely, if ever, hear of, of a, a bad experience overall that people have mm-hmm. uh, here in the United States. So that you, know, you go down to, to Iquitos. With a backpack on, a white person, and somebody, you know, if you get robbed and you, somebody takes your money, whatever, 150 bucks a night, bring you to ceremony, and you don't have a good time, or you, something happens, or you get robbed, even you fly back to the United States a little bit later, and there's there's no accountability to it. Right. It's just the laws down there, is, especially around ayahuasca use, um, it's a, things are just really, it's a really big gray area. Here in the United States, if something, if somebody's injured or something bad happens at a ceremony, because a lot of these ceremonies are working out, so if something bad happens, if somebody gets injured or killed, it makes the news, right. and that group no longer functions. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, all up and down the West Coast, and real, realistically, all over the country, uh, there are ceremonies happening that are available, and uh, if you, if you're playing called, and if, um, if you're feeling the call and you you do the research, you you're bound to find a, a group that's that's holding a ceremony near you or in the vicinity at some point. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being on.
podcast I do to just appreciate you and appreciate the work you're doing. Um, you're someone that embodies to me someone who is living a life of being in service. So I just want to take a second to honor you for that because it's a beautiful thing to be someone who is really, really taking upon themselves. So just the mindset of how can I help, not the mindset of how can I take, but how can I give. And that's a beautiful thing to be part of. So thank you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's a, and it's man, it's what I give, I give back in spades. Like it's, uh, I'm definitely blessed to be doing what I'm doing, and, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Awesome, thank you. And that's it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. That is how we spread the word about the show and get more people involved. And if you liked Ian's content, um, I will put in the show notes on the description just ways to reach out to him if that is something you're interested in. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed that episode. This is certainly one of my favorite to date. Uh, And if you did, again, please super super helpful if you leave five star rating on itunes that helps spread the show out into the ether so much much love y'all thank you for listening and i will see you next time